0: Veni, veni, venias, and welcome to our podcast. Good evening, and welcome to Ask a Medievalist. I'm M, the ask portion of our program, and joining me tonight, as always, is Dr. Jesse News. Hello. So uh, you're joining us in the middle of a series on global medieval drama. Yay! Um, I think this is episode three of this series uh, and we've talked about dance drama we've talked about puppets maybe it's episode four because we also talked yes. about theater sort of overall yeah. in uh in other countries as well um China Japan India so tonight we're going to Italy to talk about the comedia and physical comedy as sort of us jumping off point yes so I think that Comedia feels like something that people sort of are, I don't know if I would say exactly familiar with, but probably something that if they saw it, it wouldn't look terribly foreign, necessarily. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Just because it's been mm-hmm. worked into so many so many other things.
1: Yeah. Well, I think um, there are things like clowning, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that we're very familiar with on a lot of different levels. So, obviously, circus clowning is probably the first thing that comes to a lot of people's minds. Sure. And that is obviously part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also things like improv, right? Uh, yeah. Improv is definitely a place that uses a lot of aspects of comedia. Comedia is sometimes looked at as kind of the foundation of improv in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, Commedia didn't do it first, but this is kind of the, uh, overriding point, right? Um, Commedia dell'arte, as we know it, does arise in Italy, sort of the late medieval period. Um, and then of course carries on into the early modern period, um, spreads to France, Moliere, of course, a great example, the Commedia Francaise, right? So French Commedia becomes a thing, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, And comedia, of course, in this instance doesn't mean specifically comedy, right? It is sort of a specific art form, a specific theatrical art form, right? Um, we are, of course, most accustomed though to it being funny. (laughs) Right. Um, and that is where it really starts. So it is improv comedy, um, from essentially late medieval Italy that makes its way sort of across Europe um, and owes a lot, of course, to art forms that came earlier and gave Mm -hmm. a lot to art forms that came later, including modern improv, um, but a lot of modern comedic art forms. So um, the big things about commedia really um, is the fact that it wasn't really written down. Okay. So that's why, although we have a lot of, things that are examples of commedia. And I said, like, Moliere eventually in France. Um, In Italy, there are playwrights like um, Carlo Gozzi or also um, Goldoni, whose Servant of Two Masters is probably um, one of the best-known plays that people sort of think of as being commedia. And, of course, it uses commedia... Um, but in some ways, you know, there are people who would argue that it sort of isn't technically Comedia because it is a scripted play.
0: Ah. Right.
1: Um, and, you know, that both is and isn't true. I mean, Mm -hmm. Comedia, of course, ultimately does become scripted. Um, so Servant of Two Masters is a reminder of that. And most recently, uh, there was a British production that adapted it. And James Corden was in it, and it was on Broadway, and they won Tonys and stuff. Okay. Um, and it was one of the things that the National Theater streamed live, and then streamed live for free over the summer, um, as part of their sort of long-running COVID series. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Servative Two Masters is um, the sort of original title, the adaptation that they did, uh, One Man, Two Governors. Good idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay you know cuz the british the british version right but essentially it centers around of course the clown character right um who is most famously Arlequino, uh who becomes harlequin of mm-hmm. course um and we were just chatting before we started this harlequin of course has become a huge force in <laughs> western theater in pop culture right Um, So, some famous current examples are things like the DC Comics character, Mm -hmm. Harley Quinn, um, who's, of course, paired with the Joker. (laughs) Yeah. Um, The Joker is obviously a sort of evil comic. Not just comics, as in DC Comics, right? But the whole point of calling him the Joker, he is kind of an evil clown. I mean, that is... Mm -hmm. And leaving aside yeah. the fact that, you know, like things like Stephen King's It, right? Evil clowns are, <laughs> have a great legacy in yeah. culture for some reason. But the Joker, that is who he is. That's where his makeup comes from, right? Um, whatever the various origin stories for the makeup, it, it comes from the idea of him being the sort of evil clown, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously, so then the parallel to that, Harlequin is, of course, the clown character. Um, the idea of making this a female character is great, um, Harley Quinn. So, um, one of the things about her is she is frequently dressed in um, something that's reminiscent of what Harlequin would have worn, which is a multicolored costume. It's mm-hmm. what we think of jesters or jokers as wearing. Um, the Joker, of course, if you think of like a deck of cards, you can get sort of that hat and sort of multicolored. Sure. And motley. Um mm-hmm. and so the idea of right the Motley fool. Um that's Harlequin. Right. So he's sort of decked out in this specific costume. He becomes he doesn't necessarily start as sort of the central. The the clown characters are known as Zani. Mm-hmm. Um and so that really covers a chunk of characters. I mean, Commedia has a lot of different types of clowns. Harlequin, because of some of the people who played him and things like this, becomes this really sort of central important character. Um and so then frequently the main clown character is Harlequin, Arlequino. He can be a variety of roles, (laughs) but one of the ones that does ultimately become famous, which is where Servant of Two Masters comes from, is um, when Arlequino is playing a servant character. And of course, this tends to be the servant character who is either smarter than his master, or at least responsible for getting his master possibly into trouble but definitely out of it as well right (laughs) Um, yes all of these things yeah Um, and he helps solve his master's problems he maybe helps his master get with his girlfriend right whatever the divisions are of course they're always comic things keeping them apart and uh, Arlequino helps out Um, there is a female counterpart to Arlequino the smart sassy female character um, and that's Columbina and she's frequently paired up with him um, and so, right, the idea of tight characters, of course, has been around forever,
0: <laughs> really. This reminds me a lot of the Marx Brothers, honestly. Yes, so when I teach this, I show clips of the Marx Brothers,
1: Buster Keaton, Charlie Chaplin. Yeah. Absolutely. This is where they all come from. They come from this tradition mm-hmm. of clowning and physical comedy.
0: Yeah, because they're not like they're, they are kind of playing like the role in in their own thing. But they're also very much playing the stock, you know, Harpo Marx is going to yes. be Harpo Marx. Yes. Right. Like you don't you don't go to see him do a soliloquy on Shakespeare. You, you go to see the bit with the horn and the pipes and the whatever. Yes.
1: Yeah. Uh, he was here for you. Did he leave a message? Why did he come? He didn't say. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It's, yeah, it's absolutely that. Um, They, I mean, the funny thing about the Marx Brothers in a lot of ways is that they play on stock characters. Mm -hmm. But they also kind of created their own. Right? Yeah. (laughs) Which is intriguing. And so they themselves have now become stock characters in American pop culture. Yeah. Right? Um, And so... Alan Alda in M.A.S.H. was frequently doing Groucho, (laughs) right? And actually, wow, this is sort of a... So um, Kate Bornstein (laughs) um, has a play called um, Hidden, and there's a whole section in this. Um, So Hidden, a gender, um, is this play. Kate Bornstein is trans, Um, And created this really fascinating performance. And there's a few different interesting sections. It centers around a few different stories. And they sort of get put together into this narrative of identity. Um, But there is this sort of um, character who has elements of sort of talk show host, carnival barker, Groucho at times. Um and there's this scene, that's a very Marx Brothers sort of scene. There are a few of these things that come in and out. Um and it's one of these really interesting things in class. Uh, because this is a play that first of all is very early. It's from like the hm I'm gonna say like
0: eighty nine, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, she was born in nineteen forty eight, so Yeah. I think eighty nine
1: is the was sort of the premiere of the play, Hidden Agenda. And, um, so this is very early play about sort of trans identity. And there's some really sort of serious issues, obviously, that she nonetheless treats in this very sort of comedic way. Right. And, um, not always, I mean, the whole play isn't comedic, but there are these scenes that use, um, you know, Marxian comedy. (laughs) And, um, it's one of the things I sort of ask my class. And so one of the things that happens is, first of all, how many of them sort of recognize this? They've all seen it before, but they don't necessarily all know where it comes from, which is mm-hmm. to say that they wouldn't necessarily tag the Marx Brothers as being one of the originals of this, right? Um, and of course, the Marx Brothers themselves are on this legacy of, right, commedia clowning, essentially. Um, but the idea that Morenstein is using this specific type of very fast-paced physical and verbal comedy to talk about something that's a very sort of serious topic um, and sort of serious aspects of this topic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, medical, physical, different things. Um, and my sort of questions to the class about, you know, why do you think this is the theatrical language being used to talk about these ideas? And so that actually, that ends up being a really interesting lesson, not just, you know, in this specific sort of play, what Kate Bornstein's doing, but a little more generally about the history of this art form, Mm -hmm. um, what it's used for the fact that comedy frequently has very serious issues at its heart. Right. Mm -hmm. But also then that this is frequently something that um, they sort of know about, but maybe not to the extent that one might think they would. Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? Given the stuff that, you know, this is all available. It's out there, but, yeah, it's sort of maybe not as immediately prevalent, right? You can watch people recreate this and not know where it came from. Sure. Right. So, yeah. So the Marx Brothers, it's a really sort of great moment to um, to sort of discuss that. But it's also a reminder, right? Um, Charlie Chaplin, the clip I always show, I show a few clips. I mean, I show the funny ones. But mm-hmm. we also sh- watch, I think we've mentioned this before, actually, the Great Dictator Sure, yeah. Yeah. Which, of course, it is hilarious, but it's also very serious. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so that element of comedy. Uh, and that's in comedia from the beginning. Absolutely. Okay.
0: Um, so it was uh, um, sort of innately a little subversive.
1: Yes. Um, which is another thing about the fact that originally it's not written down.
0: <laughs> Aha. <laughs> right? Some sort of uh-huh. uh, plausible deniability, we might yes. we might say. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And of course, there aren't recording devices at the time, right? This is the late Middle Ages. Um, you can't tape record someone. You certainly can't video record someone, right? right? So you can go there and then, you know, say, oh my gosh, I heard them say this. We should shut them down. But you can't necessarily, you know, you have to find enough witnesses to prove that, mm-hmm. you know. Um, right. So it's, yeah, so there is definitely a sense of deniability. Um, it also keeps other people from stealing your material, which has always been yes. a problem for comics, right? Mm-hmm. Um, comics stealing other comics material. So it, it sort of stops that. Um, so what there was, there would be essentially a set list, right? So the same way okay. musicians do it today. Um, and the set list would have all of the Latsi. Um, Latsi is plural. lots of course, is singular. Um, and the Latsi are the physical scenarios Um, and it would have these laid out (laughs) right and then the actors would use the plot that they would improv to get from a to b to c to d right but Mm -hmm. you'd sort of lay out your plot physical comedy style okay and then um you would sort of make up the story (laughs) and the physical bits you know those would be the things you'd actually say this will come here this will come here this will come here right those are the parts you prepared for Um, so Mel Gordon has written some fun stuff on Latsy. Um, basically just some, some articles, a book where he just collects as many of them as, you know, they still exist. You know, these are things we do have, sort of the sheets Mm -hmm. and things that describe them. Sometimes you only have the name. They didn't have to describe it. They would just say, you know, the Lazzo of whatever, you know? Okay. Um, and then... (laughs) Sometimes you'd find a description, sometimes you'd just have to guess. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, you put things together, you figure out what it is. Uh, but there's some that are still used today. So, <laughs> the Lazzi, or lozzo, um of falling. Arlecchino. F- this is from Mel Gordon. Um, Arlecchino falls from a high ladder or a wall after being shaken <laughs> off, <laughs> shot or gravitationally abandoned. Now, huh. who can we think of who walks off of something and gets gravitationally abandoned? <laughs> Right, cartoons.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yes.
1: Cartoons are absolutely comedia, Mm -hmm. right? That is where they come from. Original sort of Saturday morning Bugs Bunny, Road Runner. They are comedia, right? In animal form, but that's where they come from. Yeah. Um, So Arlecchino gets shaken off, right? Shot gravitationally abandoned. Um, The humor involves Arlecchino's desperate attempts not to fall, right? Um, so you can imagine, we've all seen this, right? Somebody mm-hmm. in a comedy, right? He up on a ladder, the ladder tipping back and forth, right? The whole thing, trying not to
0: fall, walking around yeah. on a ladder. Yeah. I'm sure Harpo did this yes. in, uh, one of the, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's one of those famous, you know, but mm-hmm. it's been around forever. Um, so the, lots of the statue, this is one that of course we still do. I, I have my students do a lot of these as exercises, you know. Um, and this is one that is still done everywhere, mm-hmm. right? Uh, where a group of people are wandering around, and someone is pretending to be a statue, right? And when they're not looking, the statue starts to make fun and, you know, whatever uh, behind them. And then, you know, you turn around, and the statue always has to freeze so that they don't get caught. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, so that's one. I feel like one. people...
0: People who do those living statue things, if you're walking around, I don't know, Venice or something, this, yes. this happens all the time.
1: Oh, of course. Yeah. Right. But it tells you, I mean, this has been around for hundreds of years, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Um, so they're, they're all those that we sort of know. There's some famous um, medical ones. So, the, you know, getting your teeth pulled... That's a big medieval one. Um that of course also shows up in Little Shop of Horrors where the the sadistic dentist. Oh. Um yeah, so Little Shop of Horrors, um the sadistic dentist. Mm-hmm. Where you have um you know, the sort of comedy side of pain essentially. <laughs> um this is something else that Commedia really explores. And so th- it's frequently subversive, right? The servant is smarter than the master. Sometimes mm-hmm. the servant subverts, right, The Im- what important people are doing. sure. But then there's a flip side um, where sometimes, right, if the master beats the servant or, you know, um, abuse between couples, that can really depend on the performance. Is it subversive mm-hmm. or is it perpetuating... Class violence, domestic violence, etc.
0: Right. Normalizing it.
1: Yeah. So these are questions, right? And it really, really depends on who's writing it. So these are all sort of, you know, famous, famous variations. There, of course, are food Latsy, which are super famous. Um, You know, Chaplin, Marx Brothers all have great ones. (laughs) Ah,
0: yes. You know, there's nothing. The, uh, The scene in modern times with the eating machine... Yes. Always. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. There's nothing like food to be funny, um, and in Servant of Two Masters, the most famous scene is the scene where the central character, right, uh, is is serving both of his masters dinner in the same inn.
0: Okay. Right. In separate rooms. In separate rooms. And- yeah. Okay.
1: And and of course, also <laughs> trying to eat the food off the plates in between. Yes. Right. So he's carrying them, um, and that—that's an incredibly sort of famous scene. Yeah. Um, so food, Lazzi are phenomenal, mm-hmm. um, but it does sort of carry that question of subversion. So um, we have things like the marriage of Figaro, which of mm-hmm. course is a play <laughs> by Beaumarchais, but also an opera by Mozart, which becomes, you know, a sort of very famous um, aspect of Commedia. Um, and uses a lot of characters, obviously, sort of straight out of mm-hmm. Comedia. Um, so Papageno, of course, and Papagena, Um, The sort of, right, the clown sort of. Yes. Right, Harlequin characters. Um, the lovers, young lovers, are still type characters, of course. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, they're the innamorati, Right? Which just means lovers. I mean, the young lovers were a type. Mm-hmm. Um. So you know you have the sort of sorry. This is Magic Flute. <laughs> Whoops, Magic Flute. Yes, sorry. Um. So that's so Magic Flute. Um. Using those and then Mary Jafigro also. Sorry, I was going to get up to Mary Jafigro. Um. Also uses these characters, but a little more disguised was the point, right? So in Magic Flute, they're very sort of obvious. Right. Um, they're not tremendously disguised. It's a very sort right. of comedia-based
0: opera in a lot of ways. Apagano even wears, like, kind of a motley costume a lot of times.
1: Yes, absolutely. Right? And the idea um, of him as sort of a bird catcher.
0: Yeah, um, but he dresses kind of like a bird. Yes. Which, yeah. honestly, is just a little funny. <laughs> of course, um, right? Yeah.
1: Uh, I, I think, think he's a cool
0: point. he's cool as a character because he gets dragged through all of the rituals and stuff mm-hmm. um as though he were a serious, you know, lover who had to jump through hoops. Yes. And he's he's just like super not into it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Which feels like a very rational response, honestly, to uh yeah. being dragged through those sort of those sort of problems.
1: Yes, yeah, absolutely, right,, uh, and you've got the lovers, right, um so you have all these very clear sort of type characters, mm-hmm, and it is a very comedia based opera because the scenario is a kind of fantasy, right, so a little bit of a fairy tale, right mm-hmm. um, so you you have all the types, fairy tales, of course, that's that is what they are, I mean, types, right, yeah, um, so then magic flute, phenomenal, wonderful. Obviously brilliant, but merge of Figaro, you get similar types, but now kind of disguised as characters. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, and of course, again, right? This is Beaumarchais originally; it's his play. Um, but the but Figaro, of course, is the smart servant. That is who he is. Um, but now, I you know, the smart servant is always kind of the star. I mean, Papageno is in Magic Flute, sort of the You know, frequently the best Mm actor-singer, right? Certainly the most fun. I mean, Tamino has great stuff, but he's not super interesting, I feel like.
0: Right. We can... (laughs) I mean, I don't want to be unfair here, but Well, the thing about Papageno as a figure is that his lyric... Like, his melody line, I believe, is usually doubled in the orchestra. Yes. So you can sing him even if you're not yes. a super professional. Like, obviously, people who aren't professional singers don't really get on the opera stage now. But Right. Well, but that was the original point, actually, that the guy yeah. who did
1: sing him was not as high a professional. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right?
0: right. But then you have, you know, you have a real range in yes. uh, the, the magic flute the because then band. you get all the way through. Yeah. Yeah. Who was um, well, she was originally played by like Mozart's sister-in-law, right? Yes, who
1: clearly who did not need any help.
0: Was amazing. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I mean, you know, that sort, of, but that sort of thing, right? Where mm-hmm. Figaro, it really is his play. Um, yeah, and so that sort of idea, um, that you know. Um, the smart servant really is the main character, that he is the most important character, right? Yeah. His relationship, um, is really sort of the the primary relationship. It's not really the secondary relationship. Um, so, this, right? And of course, as per usual, um, his relationship is with Susanna, but of course she is then the smart servant. Mm hmm. Right, So we do have a sort of Arlecchino, columbina type, right? Um, and their goal is partly to keep their master and mistress together, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then this time the master and mistress, they really are sort of the secondary relationship. And the fun of The Marriage of Figaro is really to see, right, our sort of clown characters teaching the nobility, <laughs> right, how to be better people, more faithful, you know, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So, right, so we have, but the sense of, you know, opera, of course, is frequently based on type characters. Um, yeah. But, you know, Mozart, of course, his music elevates it. Um, But it's, you know, a really sort of important foundation
0: to those characters. it's um, funny, because I knew that Figaro was a sort of a famous character on his own, right? Yes. He shows up in a couple of different plays. Yeah, um by Beaumarchais. Yep. But um I didn't realize he had his origins in uh Commedia dell'Arte.
1: Yeah. I mean that's where he that's where he comes from as a character, right? Um and the same thing is true of Falstaff in Shakespeare. Falstaff mm-hmm. is a braggart soldier. Um, and the type in Commedia is Il Capitano. Now, obviously, Falstaff is incredible. I mean, he's a complex, extraordinary, and ultimately (laughs) tragic character. Right? Yes. But that is where he comes from. I mean, that, that is his type. Right? Mm -hmm. He is, that he's the braggart soldier. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so it's a reminder in some ways, Commedia, um, is, I think, aside from the physical comedy, which everyone acknowledges to be extraordinary, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if you can do this, you're... Um, but the, I think, meaning behind it is frequently dismissed. And that is unfortunate, because it really does provide the potential for incredibly brilliant comedy, but also very sharp satire, um, even sort of tragedy, right? Something like mm-hmm. Falstaff. Um, so there's a lot going on in what comedy has to say about the world, even though we tend to sort of sneer at type characters, right? Um, we still use them. I mean, superheroes, supervillains, <laughs> you know, even when they're not named Harley Quinn, uh, right. they're all clearly, or the Joker, or, right, they're all clearly, clearly, clearly type characters. <laughs> so it's still a very important part of our sort of um, secular mythology, so the, the other, of course, part about Comedia is they're, they're frequently known as masks because they were all masked. You mm-hmm. recognize the character by the mask they were wearing. Um, this is really important because it means that a small group of people can play all of the characters. You just change oh, the masks. Oh, <laughs> right? okay. Um, it also means that the audience knows the minute you walk out on stage who you are. Right? So, for example, so a girl, right, or young woman can walk out on stage and be called Susanna. But her costume and her mask would tell everyone that she is Columbina, that she is the smart servant character. Okay. Right. Now, of course, when we get to Mozart, Susanna's not wearing a mask. But that idea, right, you can name your characters, <laughs> right? You don't have to call them Capitano, or Arlecchino, although they frequently are called by their character types. Mm -hmm. Um, But when they walk out on stage, you can tell by their costume and their mask who they are. So it doesn't really matter what you've decided to call them. Arlecchino can be called anything, but you recognize him immediately. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, Ilda Torre, who's basically the know-it-all professor. Mm -hmm. What? Clearly a ridiculous type, not based on life. Um, (laughs) Yes? But anyway, right? You know immediately who Ilda Tori is because of the mask. Um, yeah. Pantalone, right? The old man. So, right, you have all of these sorts of types. Um, and you recognize them the minute they walk out on stage. And it also, yeah, gives sort of different characters the chance to um, be played by the same actor, which
0: is helpful, right? If you have a small yes. troop. Um,
1: yeah, I so knew I had things.
0: seen all of the different masks, um, you know, if you go to Venice, they sell them in all, like, the little touristy shops. Like, you can get yes. full-size versions if you want to be there for Carnival, or you can get little, you know, wall-size versions or whatever, all yep. of them in between. I
1: love them so much. But yeah, <laughs> Um it's great. And of course, that is kind of where, you know, Comedia starts around there. And so one of the other things that happens, of course, is it spreads, is that France... Just falls in love with it, okay. Uh, um, and really takes it on themselves to create their own commedia, right? So there are okay. Italian troops in France. Italian troops even go to England. Um, it England enjoys it, but never feels the need to sort of create their own in quite the same way, right? Um, but of course, France does. We get the Commedia francaise. Um, Moliere, of course, and Moliere obviously his stuff is absolutely also based on commedia. But again, like Mozart, um, sometimes disguised, sometimes not as disguised, but frequently sort of disguised, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But Tartuffe, of course, known as Tartuffe or the hypocrite, right? Um, We have all of the types. (laughs) We have the young lovers. We have the sassy servant in Doreen. So we have sort of, you know, all of these characters. Mm -hmm. Um, The old man, who, of course, is totally conned (laughs) by Tartuffe. Right, in Argonne. We have the, in this case also, um, a smart young wife character. Right, but all, right, so we have all of these um, types, right? So Elmir is a type. They're all types. Mm-hmm. It's just that, you know, there's a tremendous complexity to the characters and the satire. Um, so we might not immediately associate moyer's play with this, um, but he also absolutely uses Lotsie. Um, there are some famous ones where people are hiding in closets and such. <laughs> um, but the most famous one is generally known as the table scene. And it's where the smart wife, right. Um, is convincing the Pantalone character, her husband Orgon, um, that Tartuffe is a hypocrite. Tartuffe, of course, (laughs) um, has undergone a few changes because the play was banned. Um, He is presumably a priest, was originally a priest. uh, Gets sort of Hmm. downgraded to a religious, just a devout religious character. (laughs) Okay. Because of complaints and banning. Sure. You know, how these things are. Um, But essentially right he of course is after right he's a hypocrite so he's supposed to be this deeply religious character but of course he's actually chasing after elmire the wife um and so finally there's the sort of culmination <laughs> where um the husband is hiding under the table while tartuffe basically tries to have sex with the wife on top of the table um and <sighs> orgon finally comes out from under the table and sort of stops them right before anything happens.
0: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: And anyway, but, you know, it's a, it's an extended lots of is what that scene is. Sure. Right. Um, and so, you know, um, this sort of interesting <laughs> sense that physical comedy, again, is one of those things we do frequently kind of discount. We recognize when it's done with incredible skill. Right? Sure. But there is definitely a sort of extent to which um, we maybe don't value it beyond the physical skill, right? Except in certain circumstances. So I do think, like, Charlie Chaplin's Great Dictator is one of those moments. Mm -hmm. Um, But really, physical comedy can absolutely be used to make tremendous statements, right? Satire, tragic, whatever—you know, the same as anything else. Yeah, and Molière is one of the great sort of reminders of that, right? especially again in a scene like this. Right, um, there's some other fun moments, like the the lovers, the young lovers, right, the enamorati. Um, mm-hmm. There's a scene where they're fighting, and the smart servant Gareen, has to stop them from fighting, and you know that's a that also includes some you know latsy. Yeah, um, but. Anyway, right, there's this sort of interesting sense of the ways in which physical comedy work, right? And so I think that's something that we frequently forget when thinking about um, comedia. This isn't to say that it is always subversive, <laughs> again, mm-hmm. right? But that's, of course, why certain things last, why something like Moliere, of course, why his plays have lasted. Um, they are being used to come, yeah. But, yeah, cool. So I think... Do we have other immediate comedia questions specific? Or should we go on to some physical comedy in other places? Yeah, I know. Let's keep going. Cool. Um, alrighty, so... Um, in addition to, right? I tend to call them Lotsy because that's what they're known as in comedia, and it's a great way to refer to specific physical comedic... Scenarios. Mm -hmm. Um, But obviously, (laughs) physical comedic scenarios have existed since long before comedia came into effect, Um, and also long outside Europe. Um, So, one of the favorite other traditions out there. Um, We've talked a lot about Japan. We talked, of course, about puppetry, right? Bunraku. Yes. Um, And also, No, right, was essentially sort of dance drama, a brilliant, brilliant sort of tragic theatrical form um the counterpart to no is kyogen and kyogen is comedy right so um if no is the sort of tragic dance drama gorgeous gorgeous right um kyogen is physical comedy um the training is the same the actors are frequently the same um although you, you might specialize in sort of either no or kyogen but the training is the same it's the same sort of theatrical form but kyogen is the comedy um and i think i mentioned when we talked about no that in the middle of a no play between acts one and two um a kyogen character will come out and sort of sum it all up (laughs) in (laughs) slightly more contemporary japanese usually um for the audience and will frequently also talk to maybe a secondary character um, which is sort of the excuse, right? The secondary character will see this person who's sort of a random village villager or something, and will mm-hmm. say, excuse me, sir or ma'am, can you tell me about this place? And then the person will say, oh, yes, this is the place where this thing happened, and they'll give the sort of history <laughs> that you may have missed, right? And then the secondary character will say something like, oh, how amazing that I should be in this place, because... I have this random connection to this thing and I was actually going here and I didn't know I'd already come here or I was going here and I thought I was here and I'm glad to hear I've arrived Um, and you know I ran into someone in the first act who really reminded me of this thing which is why I'm here (laughs) right and then of course the person will show up again in the second act Um, that's particularly true right the person shows up in the first act as a commoner and the second act is sort of their themselves right as a ghost warrior for example at Natsumori Um, or also Tomoe, female ghost warrior. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, there are other, there are other possibilities as well. Right. But usually, right. Act one and two are connected and the secondary character has some connection. They've come to pray for this person or they've heard about this person or their family was connected. You know, they show up. Um, but the Kyogen character comes out and they are right. The reason they're future is the Kyogen characters. They are the sort of more physical character. Their language is simpler and plainer. <laughs> mm-hmm. And traditionally, you could actually have a Kyogen play with with a no play. Or even multiple Kyogen plays with a no play. Multiple no plays, okay. and multiple Kyogen plays. Um, but you'd have a whole sort of series of things because people would come in and out for hours because they're, you know, that's what you did. There wasn't anything else to do. Um, it's why operas are four hours long, right? Because... <laughs> back in the day, like, you just would go spend the whole evening at the theater. Like, what were you going to do? That's what you are going to do. Right. Yeah.
0: So, um, similarly, uh, I mean, given by- modern operas, like, how long is Einstein on the beach if you do the whole thing? It's like 12 hours or something. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I right, approximately as long as it took the actual Einstein to discover relativity. Pretty much. You can still be doing those little one, two, three, four, one, yes. two, whatever. <laughs>
1: I do wonder about that, because, I mean, like, the longest technical production I think I've seen, um, the longest one I've seen without an intermission was the Oresteia, the complete Mm Oresteia, um, in Greece, at the theater at Epidorus, um, and, of course, you know, all three plays, all at once. Yeah. Um, a modern production, so it it definitely, they all took a little longer than they would have originally. But even yeah. originally, it would have been at least three and a half hours, maybe a little longer, four hours. This one was four and a half, so it wasn't that far off. I think that's long longest I've been without an intermission. Um, mm-hmm. It was incredible, by the way. I mean, it was extraordinary.
0: I, I was say that. told that <laughs> there was a theater in Chicago that did, I think, all the extant Greek plays in one day, and it was like 12 hours, but they did have like a lunch break and a yes. dinner break.
1: I wonder yeah. if that was the court theater. Maybe. They did things, like that.
0: yeah. They tried um, to. Con- somebody tried to convince us to go, and I was kind of like, <laughs> "I am really not prepared for s- yeah. to sit for that long." See,
1: honestly. and I have seen things um, with breaks. That's that's a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah seen so, things with breaks. Um, but yeah, so the longest without an intermission was the complete die of four and a half hours no intermission. Um, but with an intermission. The longest single production I've seen. So in this case, I am now qualifying it. It's not like seeing all the Henry the Sixth's Right. Or whatever, right? So the longest single production I've seen, there were two long intermissions though, um, is Meister Singer. <laughs> so oh. Wagner.
0: <laughs> Wagner. Which
1: clocked in at least six hours at the Met. A little over. Okay. Now it was worth it.
0: So, uh, the Met productions be- often are long because everybody eats dinner yes, exactly. in the middle. Yes. Including, I believe, the entire cast. Yes. Uh, but not the but people still, who are in the way up balcony,
1: which I was. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> we just hung out by the bathroom and chat. Yeah. yeah. You chat.
0: Yeah. But no, I My mean, parents that was. The apparently familiar. used to bring picnics or something. Yeah. Um, when they would go to mm-hmm. the Ring Cycle at yes. Lyric. But. Yeah.
1: And the Ring Cycle, we be fair, not quite as long because I don't think I've ever topped any of those over five and a half hours. Any one, any one ring cycle. I mean, any, does... Not the ring cycle as a whole, but any <laughs> one opera.
0: No, yeah, Lyric yeah. does slightly more reasonable intermissions, yes. usually. But yeah, my but, Singer um... at the Met
1: was six hours. And, but you know, James Morris is the lead. I mean, he was fantastic. Yeah, it was, it was worth it. It was totally worth it. Um, but so those are sort of, I think, my longest, <laughs> right? Um, but you <laughs> think about it, a Greek... If you were going to an ancient Greek theater in 5th century Athens, you did go, right? Every playwright wrote four plays. Three tragedies and a satyr play. That's S-A-T-Y-R for the little goat men. Satyrs. Right? (laughs) Fawns. C.S. Lewis calls them fawns. Mr. Tumnus is a fawn because it Mm -hmm. sounds much nicer. And he is much nicer. He is part goat, but he is not goatish, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is to say lustful, lascivious, sex crazed, which is what satyrs are, right? Satters are the X-rated version, apparently, and yes. fawns, I guess someone decided, are the nice G-rated version. Um, I'm not sure who made this distinction, but anyway, uh, but yes. sadder plays... Probably. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yes, um, he was writing children's literature. I mean, yes. yes, but he was a good he was a good medievalist, and he definitely knew better. Anyway, um, but Satter plays. This is, of course, where we get the idea of satire, right? From mm-hmm. the Satter plays, they are Greeks. Of course, had comedy as well. That was in a separate competition. Um, eventually, it shows up also at the at the Dionysia, but um, the Great Dionysia, the City Dionysia. Uh, but comedy, you know, comedy as we think of comedy, which is sort of one play that is funny, <laughs> yes. obviously the Greeks do have that, right? Aristophanes, for example, write some great ones like Lysistrata. But, um, the sadder play went with the tragedies, right? So each tragic hmm. playwright wrote three, for every competition had to write, three tragedies. They didn't have to go together, by the way. The fact that the Oresteia is one story is kind of unusual, actually. Okay. Um, and even more so because we actually have it. But anyway, um, so three tragedies and then a satyr play. And usually the theme was going to be similar. So they might all be on the same theme, but they didn't have to be one story. Um, and so the tragedy of course shows the tragic side of the theme and then the satyr play satirizes it. Right. Um, okay. And so it might make fun of, you know, it used this, the satyrs to sort of make fun of something connected to that theme. Um, But the commentary is usually going to be the same, right? Whatever the tragedy shows is the lesson you should have learned. The satire also shows is the lesson you should have learned, right? But, you know, in grand old tradition Mm -hmm. of The Daily Show or Tropic Thunder, which we have mentioned before, right? Yes. And not in the sort of tragic vein. Um, So Kyogen is the same. Kyogen satirizes no plays, right? Okay. And traditionally, a Kyogen play that satirized the no play right would be done with it um Hmm. so (laughs) um for example um some of my favorite versions um so we've talked about Atsumori, right the ghost warrior um there are also demon plays for no right where um it sort of depends there are the ones that are known as sort of mad women plays, which usually means that, um, a woman who like lost a child or a husband or something sort of went mad and may have drowned herself or something like this. Right. And So, okay. She's looking for forgiveness. Okay. So these are all these tragic plays, right? The demon plays are sort of similar, right? Um, where there's a, you know, demons aren't necessarily evil in quite the way we think of them. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're powerful figures. Um, But, you know, so they may, something that happened. All right, so these are the sort of genres of no plays. There are more. Those are a few. Um, Okay, so a Kyogen play will take one of these themes um, and make fun of it, basically. So um, there's some fun ones. There's one that's known in English as Thunderbolt. And it's a satire of a demon play. So um, a a thunder god. Mm Mm-hmm. Think the like scary mask wearing version of Thor, basically, um, falls through a cloud, turns out he was running around heaven, making thunder, bam, 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 and he like fell through a cloud, and he whacked his tailbone when he fell onto the earth. <laughs> and now his tailbone hurts. <laughs> and there's a quack doctor, who's the secondary character, right, who um, has had to leave the big city because he's a quack, and everyone knows he's a quack. But suddenly there's this thunderbolt there, and he demands to be helped, so the quack doctor gives him acupuncture hm. by pounding with a giant mallet something that looks like a railroad spike <laughs> into the thunderbolt's backside, <laughs> and you get this great sound effect, clang, 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 every time he hits it, right? <laughs> which of course is being provided by the musicians <laughs> offstage. Yes. Um, and Kyogen, by the way, the actors do speak all their lines. You have musicians still, but the actors speak all, right. You don't have the same chanting. You mm-hmm. don't have a chorus. Um, and the Thunderbolt, of course, yells, yells, yells. But then he feels better. What? He's been cured. So then he's going to give the Quack Doctor like a big present. So he, you know, is going to make the Quack Doctor successful and a big practice in the city. And also he promises like there won't be floods for a few hundred years. <laughs> okay. On Earth, right? Um, all right. So that's right. It's a you see, it's a sort of commentary on if the no version of Demon Plays really takes the power of the gods very, very seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, well, then the Kyogen play subverts that, right? Right. The Thunderbolt is silly. He's scary, but he's clearly silly. He's sort of an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he was running around. He fell through the clouds. I mean, come on. He whacked his butt. He gets acupuncture from this giant, like, railroad spike and this quack doctor. I mean, right. So we're subverting his power, basically. Um, yeah. One of my favorites is a play. I love this one because it's one of, you know, the Japanese are famous for their horror. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in the mo- in the modern world, Japanese horror is fantastic in all its forms, not just movie, but also, like, comics, manga, right? Um, well, one of the great, great horror genres... Is of course Exorcism. Right? Right. This is also one of the great no genres. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right? People who've been possessed. And so Exorcism, I you know, I'll remind students of the Exorcist, and we'll talk about Exorcism and all the ways in which this has shown up in modern horror movies and how terrifying they are. Well, one of the greatest no plays, <laughs> Kyogen plays, sorry, um, is called Mushrooms. Um, and it's this farmer who um finds this mushroom in his garden. The mushroom mm-hmm. is played by an actor who walks <laughs> in this great um, sort of um, knees bent on the ground, completely crouched walk. Okay. Right? This is no training. So, you know, your movement is incredible. But mm-hmm. this is right. This is the physical comedy. So the physical comedy of the Thunderbolt, of course, we have the quack doctor, the Thunderbolt himself. Well, the physical comedy in this one is the really the mushrooms. <laughs> so you start with this one mushroom. They're all wearing these hats. And they wear different types of hats to make them look like different types of mushrooms. And um, so we have to start with this one mushroom. (laughs) And they're masked in different ways to make them look like different mushrooms again. Um, And then another mushroom pops up. And so he's not sure. So he goes and finds a sort of, you know, mountain priest. Mm -hmm. And brings him back to exercise the mushrooms from his garden. Because he can't figure (laughs) out what's happening. And the priest gives this sort of nonsense prayer. Right? Of course, more mushrooms pour on. And every time he does this nonsense prayer to try and exorcise them, more mushrooms pour on. <laughs> and in the end, a demon mushroom comes on and chases, and then all of the mushrooms chase the farmer and the priest off the stage. Aha! Yeah. Um, and one of the great things about this production is that, or this play, um, is that productions frequently also use, this is a great time, I think we mentioned Zami in training at one point, this is a great, great moment for kids who are training Mm -hmm. to practice because they can come out with some of the mushrooms. (laughs) Right. And then of course chase off stage and it's just a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Anyway. um, But the, right. The physical comedy that's sort of inherent in this. Um, So, and also of course the satire, right. Um, And then another one I teach, this will be the last one I'll mention here for Kyogen, but um, is called, translated usually as like the delicious poison Um, And this is one where two servants essentially get one over on their master. So um, the master gives them, gives his two servants this sort of um, big container to guard. he tells them it's Mm -hmm. poison. And if they get even a whiff of the poison, they'll die. So they have to stay far away and just look at it. Make sure no one touches it. I mean, obviously, you know, (laughs) they get bored. (laughs) Yeah. They go over. They take a look. It smells delicious. They start eating it. We get food, lotsy, as they're both trying to eat it all. Eventually, they do eat it all. <laughs> it was right. pure sugar, basically. And now they've eaten all their master's, like, special pure sugar that he brought home. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the servants is like, okay, he's got these two other things he loves. He's got this special scroll that hangs on the wall. And he's got this really special vase. So we're going to smash the vase and tear the scroll in half. (laughs) So the master comes home. And he's like... Sees everything's destroyed. The sugar's gone, right? He's super mad and the servants say, no, no, wait. Um, The thing is, right, we were playing... We know we were supposed to not move, but we were sort of playing around and mistakenly, right, we smashed your vase. And then we were so terrified, we, like, grabbed onto the scroll, by mistake, and it tore. And then we were horrified at what we'd done, so we tried to eat the poison that you gave us to guard, <laughs> <laughs> And we ate all of it, but it didn't kill us. Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> and then, of course, you see what happened here. The master has yes. painted himself into a corner, and the servants basically get everything they wanted And for good measure, destroyed their master's stuff for lying to them. (laughs) Right? Which is, so we get the Latsy, we get the food Latsy, of course, we get the physical comedy of the destruction, but we also get the subversion, right? They have subverted the power structure (laughs) and basically got a little bit of revenge, right? Yeah. Um, So, right, Kyogen, tremendous fun, shows up, you know, a little before around the same time, Commedia is showing up in Italy, right parallel with no but again right very much so based on the sort of the physical comedy um and the comedic scenarios right um all right so that's kyogen i do want to mention before we go um that next time we're probably going to start with Hrotzfiet, <laughs> who is our first named playwright in europe um after rome basically
0: right right um and a long period with plays with without authors, I yes, guess. Yes,
1: yes, lots of Anonymous. And, of course, Anonymous may frequently have been a woman, mm-hmm. as I believe Virginia Woolf pointed out. Um, but in this case, Rotsvi is named, and she's our first-named playwright. And, yes, she is a woman. What? Mm-hmm. So there we are. And um, she also uses Latsi, Uh mm. which is, a, you know, they weren't called Lotzi yet. But she uses physical right. comedic scenarios Based on Roman comedy. Roman comedy, of course, comes from Greek comedy like Aristophanes. Um, so Roman okay. comedy, particularly Terence. She's following Terence. Um, so Aristophanes, right, for those who don't know, Lysistrata or Lysistrata um, is the probably his best known modern play. Mm-hmm. Um, Spike Lee did a movie sort of based on it recently. Right, And it's weird to end the Peloponnesian War, the Athenian women and the Spartan women get together and decide they're not going to sleep with their husbands until the war ends. Um, And so then, of course, the men come on with giant erect phalli. (laughs) Um, And, you know, physical comedy ensues, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also a whole scene where... This one wife is promising to sleep with her husband, and she spends this whole scene just like taunting him. She's like, "Oh wait, no, we need more pillows, we need more blankets, we need more perfume." And she keeps like <laughs> leaving and coming, in, and then eventually she like just disappears and leaves him there. Um. Anyway, so right, this whole sense of <laughs> um physical comedy. So it goes from Greece eventually to Rome, right? And um, Terence is the one that proceeds sort of uh, name checks um terence roman playwright from north africa right so he's sort of north african Hmm. probably carthage okay um he's actually brought to rome as a slave um and the roman who had enslaved him um educated him and then was so impressed by his ability he freed him so then terence was free okay uh, to be a playwright to be a comic playwright and croat's sort of taps this vein of comedy As a great way to essentially talk about uh, medieval women and gender relations. Hmm. Um, But uses physical comedy also as a way to comment on all of these things. So we'll probably pick up with her next time. And fold her into a long sort of um, discussion of things like staging, costumes, theater spaces, stuff like that. Um, in the Middle Ages, and that'll probably be sort of the end of our theater unit. And then we might move on to things like music or other stuff like that. Yeah. But yeah, physical comedy really deserves a lot of, I think, credit, (laughs) Um, you know, for the way that we see the world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as people tend to point out, comic timing, right, a lot of these things are at least as difficult as tragedy, right yeah. um and there's the sort of stereotype of the comic actor who wants to be a serious actor right um but really comedy is very difficult um and people who really do it well um you know if you think about SNL mm-hmm. um someone like Kate McKinnon right where the physical comedy says so much mhm right and there are there're just these sort of interesting ways in which we don't always recognize the sort of, right, the point that the humor is making until maybe you take a second and you realize that a lot more may have been said than
0: you sort yeah. of realized
1: when you left.
0: I'm reminded, I think, of a bit that um, Conan Conan was on uh, Colbert before everybody shut everything down. Yes. <laughs> and he just, he was just like, Colbert said something about his suit, like that's an interesting suit that you're wearing, and he just got up and like walked across the stage. Yes, but the way that he did it, you know, he's um, six million feet tall. Yes, basically, and he so is very tall. the way that he did this walk was just hilarious. Like just this wonderful little set piece. Hmm. Um. Yep. Yes. And of course, I think we have to mention probably the Ministry of Silly Walks. Yes, that's when what it I was, comes to it. Yes. As yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, yep. <laughs> that physical comedy is um, enduring. Yes. really. And that's the thing, right?
1: Conan is actually kind of in the Monty Python school, as mm-hmm. is Kate McKinnon. Um, as I would argue, Keenan Thompson, who I think is now the longest serving, and I hope takes over SNL. Anyway, yeah. Um, Right, people who are incredibly good at physical comedy, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody can argue that Monty Python wasn't astonishing at physical comedy. Yeah. But, right, the intelligence behind their humor is just as good, mm-hmm. right? And it's this incredible sort of melding, right, of brilliance with physical comedy that mm-hmm. is, can really just skewer whatever it is that they want to
0: skewer, Right. Um, and the ability yeah. to do that is so rare, but so extraordinary. In the notes for one of the episodes I just finished editing, so for our for our listeners, this is going to be probably episode 13, um, I linked to one of my favorite Key and Peel skits. Ooh, yes. And it has um, two guys doing, like, step aerobics, dance aerobics. Yes. And <laughs> nobody has any lines until, like, about three Three and a half minutes into like a three forty skit, right? Yes, and just like the way that they're doing the dance aerobics yes. is itself hilarious. Um, yes, they're less of they're less physical as comedians go than other right. groups. Like a and lot yet of their they stuff really is often,
1: yeah, have it,
0: yeah, they do, yeah. Um, and can
1: we just mention, by the way, that of course Jordan Peele moving in as a sort of director, writer, et cetera, to horror. Yes. Right. And I mean, something he's been interested in for a long time, but mm-hmm. then that is now where he's gone. And I think that is a very close connection. I mean, I, yeah. you know, I've brought it up before, but I really do think the physicality of both of those things, right. Mm-hmm. There's a reason that sort of horror and comedy work so well as we see them as complete opposites. And yet you can have something like Shaun of the Dead, Right. I mean, <laughs> there are not really opposites at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so the fact that Jordan Peele, I think a lot of people think it's sort of unbelievable that he would suddenly end up in horror, but it's not the leap, right? There's something about those two things, I think, that's actually very similar. Mm-hmm. It just depends on, you know, two different types of physicality. But the physicality aspect Right, is, is similar. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, I think that this is a good place to call it on uh, yes. Key and Peel Note. Also, because we yes. will have linked to lots of things like the Marx Brothers. Yes. And- <laughs> yes. So you know, go check out the notes. To Key and, and Peel uh, All
1: of these things. <laughs> yes.
0: Enjoy. Watch lots yeah. of videos. <laughs> yeah, enjoy um, a lot of different entertaining little yes. clips of stuff. Right. We'll probably
1: also link to, like, some masks you can see what all the masks look like if you don't know what comedian masks look like.
0: Um, yeah. I should just have you take pictures of yours and we'll put those yes. in the notes. <laughs> I love them so much. Yeah. Yes. But yeah, we'll get some good shots. Yes. Alright. So there are not really any huge announcements to do. You can check out our website as always. You can read us on iTunes. Um, thank you to the people who have rated us you can leave a review you can tell your friend um and you can send us a question and we will try to answer it yes um and if you're listening to this because of you had a school assignment and now you're
1: online and you had to find something that talked about things um yes like this <laughs>
0: global medieval <laughs> theater physical comedy um yeah let us know ask questions yeah ask questions Nothing professors love more than getting questions about their subject area. Yes, I will say. When I was an undergraduate, I do not think I understood that. And uh, <laughs> yes. but as I as I got to grad school, I realized like professors are like, I don't know. Sometimes they're kind of bored. They want you to come by. They want you to say like ask questions. Yes. Um, and now and they're there are giant nerds. Hours.
1: That too. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but like now, also they can't sit in their offices waiting for students to come by. So.
0: What are they supposed to do? Yeah. 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 Start podcasts, apparently. Exactly. Yep. All right. So uh, until next time, uh, wear your masks and uh, wash your hands and keep it medieval. Bye. Ask a Medievalist is a production of This Can't Be That Hard Studios and is not endorsed, acknowledged, or condoned by Virginia Commonwealth University or any of its constituent departments. Our theme music is Veni Veni Venias from Carmina Burana by Carl Orff, performed by the MIT Concert Choir and licensed under a Creative Commons attributional non-commercial license version 3.0. If you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, why not tell a friend? For more on today's topic, including sources, annotations, and corrections, visit our website at www.askamedievalist.com. And if you have questions, feel free to drop us an email at questions at